forward in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, you find that on page 1321. We're going to sort of uh, wrap up our discussions about the Holy Spirit. It sure has been wonderful. It just seems like I was thinking to myself a couple of weeks ago that every Sunday night through this series, it seems like God has been uh, just so present as we've talked about uh, these uh, just active present ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. And I, I have to believe that it's just a delight to uh, the Holy Spirit himself for us to, just to be conducting ourselves, talking about him and and uh, just glorifying and thanking God for the work that he does in our lives. And um, it's it's been Wonderful. It's just been so wonderful. But my concern is, is that after we've, we've, we've said over these weeks, we've talked about the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit, how He seals us. And so we're secure in God because of His ministry and the guiding ministry of the Holy Spirit, how He will uh, just give us divine wisdom. And we talked about empowering and the sanctifying ministry of the Holy Spirit, the prayer ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, last week, we talked about how the Spirit empowers our heart uh, as we respond to God I'm from Ephesians chapter 3. And so I thought, now, what are we going to, how are we going to pull all this together? And uh, so I just began to uh, think about how overwhelming some of this could be. And I think the best thing we can do tonight is just let me just uh, spend a few moments and we, let's talk about how. God, the Holy Spirit, will help us to apply these things to our lives. You know, because it, it can be a bit, um, it can be a bit overwhelming. I mean, I think there's places in all of our lives that we would like to change. All of us would, if we were honest, would say there's there's certain areas of our life that that we wish we were were more diligent in. We wish we were more disciplined in. We wish we were stronger in whatever the case may be. And uh, we recognize real quickly that real, authentic, genuine change does not come easy. There's no, there's no simple shortcut. There's no quick path uh, through. You can't, uh, you, you, you can't just uh, say a few things or do a couple things. It, it just doesn't work like that. We're, we are like the, those little plastic pop toys. I don't know if you've ever seen these, but there's these little plastic pop toys. I don't know what they're officially called, but, uh, you know, they cost like a penny to make. Somebody made a bazillion dollars, but they're, they're basically just molded into a certain shape. And so you just bend them the opposite way. I mean, no matter what you do, they're going to go back to the shape they went. So you bend them the opposite way and then you set them down and you wait. And eventually it's going to snap back and pop up into the air as it goes back to its original form. That's how we are. Is that you, we try and we try and we try to change, to change, to change. But what happens is that so oftentimes we find ourselves just snapping back to the way we used to be. And so it, it, it can be kind of frustrating to, I mean, it, think about how difficult it is to authentically, genuinely change. It's hard. I mean, it, it is a, a slow, grueling process. And, and so, uh, God is, is, is ever changing us, you know, through the process of, of sanctification. 
But that's His working. But when you desire, or I desire, endeavor in our heart to want to change in certain areas, and, and then we begin trying to change that, I mean, listen. Just look at how we do uh, with uh, diet and exercise. Uh, need I say more? So, you know, what makes us think that, that with spiritual change, which is a hundred times more uh, difficult in a lot of ways, um, that we're going to be uh, superstars. So here's what Paul says in Galatians 5 with regard to the fruit of the Spirit, the, the manifestations of the Spirit's presence in our life. He says the fruit of the Spirit are these nine, um, these nine functions in our lives. Okay? These aren't passive, uh, um, sort of descriptive uh, just words, but these are living, breathing functions in our life. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So these are the... So so if we looked at these nine attributes and we thought, now where in here is, is something that we need to work on? Where's something I need to work on? Where's an area that I'm weak? Then um, how would I approach this? And so I just picked the first one, love. And I said, well, let's just talk about love. And you can take the same things that I'm going to say tonight about love and you can apply it to any of the other ones. And hopefully this will be uh, profitable for you. The first thing I want you to see is that you wouldn't be alone in um, just being a little bit overwhelmed by the things that Scripture calls us to do. If you think with me, for example, about the disciples and how they responded to Jesus' teaching, especially we're going to look at um, these verses will come up on the screen. If you look at John chapter 15 and 16, Jesus, uh, John 15 and 16, that's the Jesus is is nearing the cross in his ministry in the gospel of John. And so he's really uh, sort of in a very similar place to where we are in Luke chapter 22, where Jesus is really just nailing down very important specific things. And he's really just unloading rapid fire on the disciples. And so here's what happens. As all this is going on, the disciples are taking all this in. You get to John chapter 16 and look at what Jesus says. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Verse 5, but now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, I want you to see what happens with the disciples. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. After everything that they've been through, after everything that Jesus has told them, I mean, it seems like every opportunity they have, they guess the wrong answer. They never fully got everything that Jesus was uh, talking about. And so he would he would pull them aside after he's just told a parable. And then he would say, now, here's what I meant by that and try to get them all on the same page. And so they had taken in a lot. And then in, in, in their next uh, response in John 16, 6, he says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, why has sorrow filled their heart? Because sorrow fills my heart when I just read that. 
I think, what are you talking about, Jesus? I mean, so you're saying that, that you're going away and, and, and people are going to try to kill me and persecute me and throw me out of the synagogues and that uh, they're going to they're gonna claim that they're doing service to God. And this has nothing to do with everything he just said in John 15. Have you read John 15 lately? Have you just spent some time meditating through the vine and the branches and all the, the, the nuances of a life connected to God and thought, well, have you ever read John 15 and just said, I, oh, I've got this. I'm killing it. I'm, I'm nailing it. I mean, it's intimidating. It's, it's, it's a little bit, you know, you, you just read that and you just think, my goodness. I mean, the call of God and, and the, 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 what Jesus is exposing us to is it's a shocking reality. And so their hearts are filled with sorrow. I mean, they're, they're afraid. And they're thinking, how in the world are we going to do this? We can't do this now. And, and you're saying you're leaving. And if we can't do this now with you here, what chance do we have when you leave? I mean, we're not, we're not prepared for this. So with that in mind, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. You, you follow along with me, and uh, I'll just read a little bit, then talk a little bit, then read a little bit. These are familiar passages of Scripture, but it's going to be a little different in the context in which we're looking at it. So John, I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, Paul begins speaking to the church at Corinth. He says, though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbals. Uh, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now, let's just stop there for a second and think for a minute about what Paul's said in this first opening few sentences. Well, first of all, he's talking to the church at Corinth. What's going on with the church at Corinth? He's just spent the last three or four chapters blasting them because uh, they, they're, they're all tangled around. They, they're a very, very gifted group of people. They're very, uh, they're very productive. They're very gifted. They're very talented. They're very successful. And they're totally riddled with sin and confused and a catastrophe. They're, they're, their problem is not that they can't get anything done. Their problem is, is that they don't have any control over what's getting done. But believe me, they're, they're, a gr- they're, they're overachievers. In the New Testament, you, you want to find the church that's filled with all the type A overachievers, they're in Corinth. They're going haywire. Everybody's trying to do something, do this, do that. But Paul opens up with a discussion before as he's, as he's careening towards these all-time great uh, verses about love. He begins talking about gifts because that's their problem. They don't, they're, they're totally confused about gifts. And so Paul begins by addressing, though I have this gift, though I have that gift, though I have this gift, that gift, any gift, if I don't have love, it's of no value. Now, let's bring that into this context today. What happens to the extraordinarily gifted athlete. What happens to the guy who can play quarterback like nobody else, who's the first-round draft pick, who's won a couple Super Bowls, so on and so forth, who has zero character, who has felony charges against him, who just gets out of 
uh, goes to prison. Well, what happens to him? As soon as he is eligible to get back on the field, is there any doubt that teams aren't calling? Of course not. Because no, it's just like Corinth. You know what we care about? The gifts. That's what we care about. That's what society cares about. Not you, society. We care about the gifts. If you have talent and no character, no problem. It's when you don't have talent and no character that we pile on. But if you got talent, you're good. Right? You can have as many affairs on your wife as you want to. So long as you keep winning national championships, you're good. You can, you can be in scandal after scandal after scandal and someone is going to hire you if you have gifts. If, if you are, if you are gifted in, in the entertainment industry, it doesn't matter what kind of person you are. It doesn't matter what your character is. If you're talented, people are going to pay to come to see your gifts. This is the problem in Corinth. They are totally focused on gifts and have lost sight of character. They've lost sight of love. And so Paul uses gifts to draw their attention to what he's uh, moving towards. So why does he choose love? I mean, when he gets to 1 Corinthians 13, if you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, you may wonder sometimes, as I have, I'm reading through 1 Corinthians, you get to chapter 13, and you think, now why, why is love right here? Why does he pick love out of the nine fruit of the Spirit? Because clearly they're lacking in multiple areas. Patience would be way high. They're super impulsive. Uh, you know, joy, they probably are a little, you know, they're, they're fine on the joy uh, scale. But patience, they've got uh, major issues. Uh, faithfulness, all sorts of problems. But what's the big one? I mean, if anything's lacking in Corinth, it's got to be self-control. It's got to be. Paul says about the church in Corinth, he says, you, you have immorality in the church such that pagans would be astonished. That's what he says about it. So self-control is, is their issue. Paul doesn't go there, he goes to love. He says, well, if you don't have love, it's of no value. Now, this is the same Paul that says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that it's the love of God that's poured into our heart at salvation. So Paul declares that because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So at the moment you received the Holy Spirit, the love of God was poured into your heart. That's good news. That means that every saved person has the supernatural capacity to love. But that shouldn't come as any surprise because all the fruit of the Spirit are all fruit of the Spirit. And if you possess the Spirit, then you possess the supernatural capacity for all nine of the fruit of the Spirit. Well, depending on which list you're looking at, right? Yes. And so Paul chooses love. And he, he's already declared that 
this love has been poured out or shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So he moves from gifts. Now look at verse 3. He's going to shift gears in verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now he, he's left gifts and he's moved to what? Virtue. Now he's talking about virtue. He's talking about uh, these issues of virtue where if you, if you were to, to voluntarily become a person who lived in poverty so that you could you know, give your money away, or if you would martyr yourself for your uh, beliefs or your faith, if you did these great acts of virtue, but they were void of love, they would be of no profit. Again, these are astonishing statements considering the gravity of... I mean, it really reminds you of a portion of our discussion this morning about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. I mean, these are, these are, are very good spiritual things. The same kinds of things that Jesus is saying that many people will say, but didn't I do this and didn't I do that? And they'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. You're you're a worker of lawlessness. Well, here again, these are some very good things. And yet, Paul says, well, they'll be of of zero, zero good. So again, the first observation that you have to see here is just jumping off the page at us. That a supernaturally changed life will always lead to a life of supernatural service and supernatural virtue and character. But a life of service and character is not always an indication of a supernatural, a supernaturally changed life. Do you understand? You see, Paul is saying that though these things are present, if these things are present, if you do these things, as he's not talking about things that are impossible to do, he's talking to people who have this exact problem. And the point you have to understand here is that unbelievers can do these things. Unredeemed people can accomplish these things. People who are not, who, who, who are people who don't have love? Romans 5, 5. People who don't have the Holy Spirit. Indication, people who aren't saved. Right? So it's just simple arithmetic here. But, It's important to get this because what happens is we have a tendency to look around us and to make the fatal mistake of looking at these things that we see and automatically looking at these things that we see as an indication of a supernaturally changed life. And they're not necessarily that. Why? Because you... you, you have to, it's the same exact thing we saw this morning. You have to have the why with the what. It's not just doing these things, it's why. And if there's not love behind them, then it's of no use. Now, now, now just run with this for a second. 
What are the ramifications of this? What are the, where are the places that can just explode your life if you're not careful with understanding what I'm talking about? What happens when the guy who, you know, pastors the church that you grew up in and, and baptized you and, and, you know, he was your youth leader or he was your, your pastor or whatever the case may be. And then, One day you find out that the whole entire time it was just a big sham. That that it's bad enough that he he had a a a moral failure, but no, it's more than that. I mean, I'm thinking of circumstances in my head that I've encountered where it's come to to light that these men who seemingly were accomplishing great things in the kingdom of God were. It was all just a, a masquerade that, that, that they had they had been in these long term, you know, decade long immoral relationships. So what happens to all these people who are thinking to themselves, wait a second. Well, what does this mean about my identity in Christ? What does this mean about well, about everything that, that I've heard and everything that, that God's shown me and all the ways that God's used this person in my life. How do I reconcile all this? What do you do with that? Because this helps you. You got to understand that the Holy Spirit loves people. And the Holy Spirit can work in and through whoever He wants to work in and through to minister to people that He loves. Yes. And so you, you, you got to realize that sometimes, sometimes, sometimes God, uh, God, listen, it, this person is in this position and they're up there and they're preaching a sermon and their life is filled with secret sin. Don't don't make the mistake and think, well, God can't use that. Don't anytime your sentence starts with God can't just stop, just stop right there and go, hold on. Yes, God can. God can do whatever God wants to do. The key is you got to stay focused on God, not on the vessel that he chooses to use. God can do whatever God wants to do. And so that's the first thing. The Spirit of God will work. The question is, is there supernatural change in that life? Is there, is there love? Not the kind of love that one might have uh, without the Spirit of God. Not the kind of love that you were born with. Before I got saved, I loved. I sure did. I loved people without the Holy Spirit. And I had no idea that my love for them was utterly and completely uh, insufficient in every way. I had no concept of the capacity to have a greater, real, true love until I got it. And when I got it, then... Everything changed. Now, I'm telling you all this for a reason. Because look at what Paul's about to say. 
I mean, if you think you're, you're the little rubber pop toy, then just swim in verses 4 through 7 for a few hours and let this just bear down on you. I mean, how, how do you reconcile this love? Paul then turns after he's went, okay, here's these gifts. You can have these, the greatest gifts there are since you're tangled up in gifts, but without love, they're nothing. The virtues, I mean, we're not talking about, we're not talking about, you know, just some virtues of good, you're a good person, you're a good citizen, you're law-abiding, you serve. We're talking about martyrs. We're talking about if you give all your money away and live in poverty. We're talking big virtues. He says, what? Worthless. And as if that's not enough, now he's going to drop this nuclear bomb on top of us. He says, love... The love that he just got done saying, if you have all this without love, it's nothing. Oh, by the way, here's what love is. Love is, it suffers long. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I mean, now that is, that is a threatening sentence. That is an astonishing statement. How in the world could you or I even begin to approach this Love. What Paul is doing is he's simply just breaking down all the things that the Corinthians are not. And every time I read through this, I always think the same thing. I always identify with this describes the exact opposite of the love that I have in Christ. In other words, the love that I have, that I used to have when I was lost, is the opposite of this. Is what he's describing that the Corinthians have. In other words, that it was impatient. I love, but I had no patience. I love, but I really wasn't kind. And I love, but I envied. And I, my love was puffed up. And it loved to parade itself. And it definitely behaved rudely. And it definitely would seek its own. And it was easily provoked. You see what I'm saying? But yet I had love. But not this love. In other words, rather than saying what we ought to do, what in the world is Paul doing here? He's introducing us to somebody. That's what he's doing. Because if this reads like some sort of poetic discourse or some poetic doxology, look at how this is written. Love suffers long and is kind. Like... Substitute the word love for uh, a proper name. Put your name everywhere in that, uh, in, in four, five, six, and seven, where it says love, and just read it. And it makes perfect sense. Because Paul is introducing us to the person of love, he's describing a person, not a, not a fictional person, not an imaginary person. A person that he's met, a person that he knows. You see, 
real love, this kind of love, is only possessed by those who have been possessed by this kind of love. You see, you, the only way to know that you don't have this kind of love is to get this kind of love. Reading this will do you no good. A lost person can read this a thousand times and it's going to, it's not going to yield. They're not going to go, oh, I get it now. No. That's like trying to say, well, I could describe the Grand Canyon to a blind person and they'd, to such a degree that they'd have a perfect handle on it as if they could see. It's impossible. It's impossible. Well, you can't, you can't comprehend this kind of love until to possess it means you've been possessed by it. You see, He's got to be in you before you can ever begin to wade through the waters of this love. To love this way, you have to have met love. This love only comes by experience. This is what Paul's talking about when he says the love of God was poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit when you received Him. What love? This love right here. This is what's inside of you tonight. So rather than read this and think, Wow. I, you know, that it, it's so... What I don't want you to do tonight is, is I don't want you to respond the way the disciples responded in John chapter 16 to Jesus' statement. I don't want your heart to be sorrowful at, at, at this right here. I want you to come to the realization after everything that we've talked about and realize that True love never came to anyone by trying harder. Never. Ever. There's no level of, of effort or discipline that's going to get you to this kind of love. The only way that you can ever begin to understand this kind of love is to be loved by this kind of love. Do you know how I know this love? How do you think you and I figured out? I mean, for me, how do you think I figured out how to love my wife? You think I read a book, How to Love Your Wife in God? No. God loved me this way. I experienced this love through Him. Which in turn showed me how lacking my own human love is and gave me the capacity to then begin to love other people supernaturally. You have to be loved. I mean, th- this, is the, this is the whole thing. I mean, are you seeing the parallels here to the, our whole conversation this morning about Judas? 
This is Judas's problem right here. Just illustrate in a whole nother way. How many hundreds of times in the New Testament do we see this exact thing being shown to us? Don't get hung up in people's works of righteousness. Don't get hung up in people's outward appearance of good works. Because you're gonna get, you're gonna be deceived. What is the motivation of your heart? What is the motivation of their heart? Do they, do they have supernatural love? Do they love this way? Do they, is their love a love that's patient and kind? Is it a love that doesn't, doesn't behave rudely? It doesn't seek its own? It's not provoked? Yes, you see, because Paul's introducing us to this love. The same love that Jesus is introducing his disciples to the same exact love. So if we go back to John chapter 16. And when we left the disciples, Jesus said, hey, I'm I'm going away. And their hearts were sorrowful. They were, they were filled with grief. And then the next thing Jesus says to them, He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Do you know what just happened right there? They're standing right in front of Jesus. God incarnate is looking them in the face. They're looking into his eyes. They can touch him with their hands. He's right there. And he's laying out all these grand supernatural things that are before them. And he's saying, hey, people are going to try to kill you. People are going to run you out of the synagogue. All these things are going to happen. And they're standing there thinking, there's no way I can possibly. How can I do this? The Christian life is impossible. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever look at the Bible and just think, how in the world is anyone ever going to accomplish all this? And Jesus says, by the way. Right as you're fearful, right as you're fretting and stressing over the fact that he's leaving. He said, oh, by the way, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I leave. Now, besides Chuck, everybody else in here. What I'm telling you is that our tendency is to think, what would it have been like to be there? What would it have been like to have been standing right there next to Jesus when he, he calmed the sea? 
If I could have seen that happen, if I could have been standing there when he did that, or when he, when he cast all the demons out of the demoniac at Gadara, you know, what must that have been like? What was it like when he just called Lazarus forth from the grave and he just comes hopping out in the grave clothes? I mean, if I could see that, my whole life would be so radically different. I mean, imagine the impact that that would have. And Jesus says, no, wrong answer. Void that out. You got it all wrong. What's better than a being there? He's talking to people who are there. And he said, no, you only got second best. You, you don't even know first best. First best is yet to come. You understand that? You're wrong. I'm wrong to think that it would have been better to be there. No, it's not. He said, no, it's better to not be there. He's talking to people who are there. And they don't understand. But we do. What happened? What happened to these men that he's talking to in John chapter 16? What happened to them after Pentecost? What were they doing just before Pentecost? And what were, what happened instantaneously after Pentecost? Is there any similarity to Simon Peter pre-Pentecost? And post-Pentecost? No. He walks away from the Holy Spirit and becomes the greatest preacher in the history of the world. His first sermon plants a megachurch. What happened? What happened was, Jesus being present, as great as that was, wasn't as good as this. And guess what you got? So don't get scared. Don't get scared by a love that seems so, so, so supernatural, so hard to get your hands on, so unbelievable, so, oh no, no, no. You're you're thinking too small. Paul didn't say in Romans 5 that a portion of the love of God was poured into your heart. He said the fullness, the whole gamut of, the entire quantity of the love of God was poured into your heart. As soon as the Holy Spirit arrived on the scene, the very moment that you were saved, the very moment that justification became a reality in your life, boom, supernatural love, the capacity for all the fruit of the Spirit in an absolute supernatural capacity is right there. Better than if you were walking with Jesus face to face. I don't know about you, but I, just sometimes just thinking about what Scripture has to say about the Holy Spirit. It's almost, it's so good, it's painful 
It's painful. Because it just, it, it makes me think of all the times that we as his people, we, our goal is mediocrity. I mean, our endeavor is just status quo. How many times as believers do we have these conversations that, that sound as if we're, we're just... We're just trying to survive. If I can just get through whatever it is I'm in. And then I I think about what Jesus says in John 16. You know, he, he goes on. I mean, he's not even done. You should go home and read it. He says, you know, I have more things to tell you. I have things to tell you that you don't know. And he says, but you know what? I can't tell you right now because you can't handle it. That's where Jack Nicholson got the whole statement from Jesus in John 16. He said, you can't handle the truth. That's exactly where he got it. Jesus said, I got more truth, but it'd kill you. But the Holy Spirit's going to come. And guess what he says he's going to do? He's going to guide you into all truth. Go check it out. He says there's truth that, that me and the flesh, I can't, I have it bestowed upon you. You can't handle it. But when the helper comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. I mean, he goes on to talk about you being known as, as you are known and, and it's just unreal. The capacity that we have in God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so my, my intention tonight is to implore you to look through the lens of the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within you as a child of God as you endeavor To become a more fruitful child in the kingdom. There's, there's nothing wrong with, uh, certainly commendable to have a heart that says, I, God, I, I want to be more patient. God, I want to, I want to love in a, in a more supernatural way. I want to experience joy. I want to be a person of joy. I want to be whatever it is. Wonderful. But before you get your, your Holy Spirit exercise routine out and start going through your, your diet plan or however it is you're managing to get there, just put the brakes on, back the train up, and check yourself back to the reality of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And realize that when you, when you read something in Scripture and you are overwhelmed by what it's calling you to do, Remember what Jesus said. He, he's almost bewildered that they, you know how you feel when you know something and someone else doesn't know it and they're just not getting what you're talking about and you're just scratching your head. He's looking at these men and he's thinking, you 
have no idea what is about to happen. You have no clue the power that is about to be bestowed upon you. So in the meantime, while I'm gone, don't do a thing. Don't do one thing. Go and sit in the upper room and wait. Because you'll just mess up everything you try to touch. Which is exactly what they did. But he said, but when, when he comes, look out. So there's 120 believers standing around. On the planet Earth, on the entire planet, 120. A century and a half later, there's 20 million. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit did it. The Holy Spirit did it. You ever, you ever ask yourself, Why, why all the chaos? You know, during Jesus' ministry, sometimes it just seems like we understand that Jesus is God and that He's doing certain things in His ministry. But don't, don't you read the New Testament and see Jesus is taking one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps back. Like you're reading thinking, what is wrong with everybody? What is the problem here? Like is everything is just crazy. How come nobody... Nobody seems to get this. How come nobody seems to... I mean, even your closest friends. I mean, yeah, they say great things, but at the end of the day, you're hanging on a cross, they're nowhere to be found. I'll tell you what's wrong. The helper hadn't come. But he's here now. He's here now. So what can you not do? Tell me again. Just for kicks. You can say it in your mind. Who is it again that you can't love? Who's so ornery and so mean? I mean, their breath is so foul. Their attitude is so repulsive. What's their name again? That you just can't love them. Who, who are they? He's here. In us. The person that Paul's introducing the Corinthians to. He's right here. That makes me so happy. I hope that makes you happy. I hope you embark on the most amazing journey. Weaving and bobbing through the fruit of the Spirit. Realizing what is possible.
in your life. What God has placed within you, what capacity. My goodness. So when Paul says, don't walk. Remember a few weeks ago? Don't walk in the flesh. Walk in the spirit. My goodness, you begin to see. That's not just a little shift. The difference between those two statements is as wide as the universe. Why in the world? Why in the world would we ever, ever aspire to mediocrity in the Christian life? Let's stand, bow our heads. Father, we want to thank you for your word and God... How good you are to us, Lord. Thank you. We don't even really know what we need. I certainly don't know what I need. Because, Lord, there's so many days in my life that as I look back across the span of my journey with you, I see I see a life that's riddled with moments where the reflection of my life would be that I believe that had you been there in person, things would have been different. God, help us tonight. Help us to realize the power, the unbelievable power that the Holy Spirit brings to bear in our lives. Lord, the capacity that we have to love each other, to love people with such grace and such fervent passion. Not because of anything about us, but because of who you've placed within us. And God, that's just one of nine. You're so wonderful. We love you so much, Lord. Thank you for helping us in our own way tonight. I know that part of your ministry is to speak into our hearts individually. And so, God, I have no idea the work that you, the Holy Spirit, is accomplishing in hearts in this room specifically and strategically But, oh, God, thank you. Thank you for what can be because of what you've done. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. If you'd like to come.